This is episode 410 with Melissa Ambrosini and me, Nick Broadhurst. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Guess what, my beautiful friend? My fourth book, Comparisonitis, How to Stop Comparing Yourself to Others and Be Genuinely Happy is out right now. Number one, New York Times bestselling author and social media sensation Jay Shetty said, never before has a book been more needed. Future generations will thank Melissa for shining a spotlight on comparisonitis. And multiple New York Times bestselling author Gabby Bernstein said, since Melissa refers to people who have recovered from comparisonitis as unicorns, I suppose that makes this a sort of unicorn training manual. I'm so grateful that such a manual has arrived. It's been infinitely helpful to me. Head to comparisonitis.com or Amazon to get your copy today. We have just had Leo, who's my 15-year-old bonus son, with us for a month. And when he's with us, I love fueling his body with as much nutrients as I possibly can. This is why I love Athletic Greens. Now, every morning when he walks out into the kitchen, there's a large glass of room temperature filtered water with his Athletic Greens, which is his daily all-in-one superfood powder in it. He loves it and I love knowing that not only is he starting his day with hydration and green goodness, but that he's getting any vitamins and minerals that he may be missing in his diet. Best of all, he loves the taste, which is so awesome. And just one scoop contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase your energy and focus, aid with digestion and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products, which is perfect for anyone. Another thing I love about Athletic Greens is they continue to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 iterations over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure that their customers continue to receive the highest quality and the best daily nutritional habit on the planet. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system by offering you a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase, which means you'll basically never have to buy vitamin D ever again. All you have to do is head to athleticgreens.com forward slash Melissa to get your free year supply of vitamin D and your five free travel packs today. How awesome is that? Welcome back to the show. Hello, everybody. 
so good to be here because we have the host, Melissa Ramassini, is here. We decided to do a special episode for you, which we're looking at doing more regularly. And that is a Q&A episode where we answer your questions because we get gazillions of questions on social media and we just can't answer them properly in DMs, obviously. So we're going to be answering your top questions today. It's going to be so fun. I love this stuff. It's awesome. And we've broken it up into different themes. So we've got love and relationships, parenthood, we've got life, fitness, home, self-care, nutrition and food. So many things. So should we just dive straight in? Let's get into it. And just make sure you are following Melissa at Melissa Ramassini on Instagram and myself at I'm Nick Broadhurst so you can post your questions so we can answer them here for you. All right, so let's get into the first category of questions, which is focused on love and relationships. This is one of our favorite categories, of course. We love this one. The first question is, what inner work did you both do before you met? <sighs> what inner work did we not do before we met? Mm. I was getting a massage the other day and our masseuse, who's a good friend of ours, she said, did you and Nick do a lot of inner work before you got together? And I was like, absolutely. We did so much inner work on ourselves before we got together, and I cannot recommend that enough. The more you know yourself, the more you're going to be able to clearly call in the person that you truly desire in your life. So definitely dive deep into self-work. If you are not in a relationship right now, use this time to really get clear on what it is that you truly desire and to remove any blocks that you might have, to release any triggers that you might have. And it's an ongoing process. You don't do this work and then all of a sudden you're enlightened. It's an ongoing process. And then when you meet your soulmate, you not only do the work on yourself, but you do the work on your relationship as well. And I share all about this in my book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. That whole book is about the inner work that I did before I got with Nick and called him in. But what specifically, babe, inner work did you do? Because, you know, for me, I did a lot of meditation. I did a lot of journaling. I saw a gazillion healers and therapists and things like that. But is there anything specific that you did that could really help the listeners? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think of that phrase from a mess to a mission. Like my life was a mess years before I met Melissa because I had gone through a divorce, a very, very painful divorce, which, and at the same time having mold poisoning and viral meningitis and being bedridden for three years. And yeah, it was like, it was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but I had to turn my life around. And ultimately I had this realization that there was only one person who's responsible for the place I was in. And regardless of what happened in my previous marriage, I still put myself in that situation and allowed myself to be there to, to create that stuff that happened in my life and that pain. And so when I started taking responsibility, first and foremost, for where I was at, that was number one. Because for a while there, I was the victim, probably a couple of years. And when I was the victim, I was so freaking angry, right? I was an angry human and it just was super unpleasant to be around me. But I started taking responsibility and I also started to, and this can apply to anyone because I'm assuming just about everyone listening to this has probably been in a relationship and I stopped making my ex-wife wrong. That was a huge thing for me because for a long time I tried to, I don't know, like 
force her to see my views on parenting and my views on this and my views on that. And all of a sudden I had this shift like, no, she's who she is. I am who I am. And I started to see all the beautiful things about her and started feeling immense gratitude. And that allowed a huge shift in everything for me and it opened me up. It softened me. And I also worked with a lot of different teachers. You know, I had to see a lot of people for my health at the time, but I started seeing spiritual teachers and I connected with a teacher in the States called Bhava Ram, who no longer teaches. And he's been on the podcast. We'll link to that in the show notes. That episode is amazing. And his book, Warrior Pose, is so good. Oh, that book is like, cannot put that book down. I remember reading that. I was in the office, actually. I had an office at the time. I was working in my own business. And I was sitting in my office just reading instead of working because I couldn't put it down. I think I read it in two days or something. It's so good. Mm, And I read the book and thought, I need to work with this man. So I started working with Bava and that was great because he just brought a different understanding of spirituality for me and deepened my yoga practice. I was doing yoga twice a day and I was following the eight limbs of yoga and doing all sorts of stuff. It was amazing. So for me, it was meditation was absolutely number one. Before everything else, it was Vedic meditation because it allows you to go beyond the mind to experience yourself beyond thought, which is you in a state of being. And when you experience yourself in that state of being, you get a taste of who you are at your very core, your truth. And if you want a taste of Vedic meditation, you can check out the One Giant Mind app. This Mm. is our friend Johnny Pollard's app, and it is incredible. And then if you want to go further, you can seek out a Vedic teacher and get your own mantra, and you do a beautiful ceremony. It's gorgeous. Hugely popular episode on your show recently with Gary Goro on Vedic principles. So definitely check out, I mean, Vedic wisdom for us has been hugely influential. So I think if I had to narrow it down to the work I was doing, it was really understanding some of these deeper meanings of life, I guess, and starting to put those things into practice and living from that place. So I know that's not super specific as, oh, what can I do right now? But I was meditating, I was doing yoga, I was staying healthy, I was getting into nature. It was it was connecting with myself, really. And the biggest one, I think, that you mentioned at the start, which was taking responsibility. Taking responsibility for your own health and your own happiness, that is big place to start, I think. If you want to call in your soulmate, you need to take responsibility for how you are showing up and how your life is unfolding. I think as well that a lot of people I've noticed hold on to things from past relationships. And of course, there's this term in actually the Vedic philosophy called samskara, which literally means scar. And these things that happen through your life that just leave little etches on you, right? Like scar tissue. Scar tissue. But by practicing something like Vedic meditation, similar practice is transcendental meditation, you remove those samskaras. You start to soften those samskaras. So I think relationships can leave people with these scars. And it's really important. It's so important. My gosh, when I see people or hear people I love who are holding on to things from previous relationships, which is stopping them from manifesting their, you know, their soulmate. I'm like, I wish I could just shake it, <laughs> shake it out of them. Just meditate. You know, just, but I've been there. I get it. Yeah. And luckily we moved through it and we found each other. So yeah, it was a lot of work. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a freaking lot of work. And at times it really hurt to sit with this stuff. But when it's you- so worth it. Yeah, but when you hurt, it reminds you of like how alive you are. You're so freaking alive when you're in pain. You know, it's like, oh, wow. I said this to a friend of ours recently who's been, uh, has broken up with someone recently. I said, yeah, but don't you feel alive? 
which is like, yeah, dude, that's a great way of looking at it. So I hope that helps. The next question was about manifesting your soulmate. I actually think that answers the question because it is about putting yourself in a state of really being the soulmate that you want to attract. A hundred percent. And again, if you want to learn how to manifest your soulmate, read Open Wide and listen to episode 15. We'll link to it in the show notes on how to find the one. That is an episode with Nick and I back at episode 15. Gosh, that feels like a long time ago. But, uh, <laughs> it was 15, was it? It was 15. Wait, what are, this is 410. Wow. Wow. Crazy, crazy. But I think if you want, if you are ready to call in your soulmate, if you desire that, then be the soulmate that you truly desire. Be that person, embody that, because that is when you will attract it. Like attracts like. And if you want that type of soulmate, be that. That's so important. Same with friendships. It is. It's every relationship. If you want soul sisters, be the soul sister that you want. As well, if you want to break it down to a simple feeling that you can employ every single day, it would be if you want more love in your life, you have to be more love. I know that sounds kind of new agey spiritual, but I'm telling you right now, guys, operating from a place of warmth, from uh, from the heart, from more love is only going to do one thing. It's going to attract more of that into your life. So if you can think of a time where you have felt like yourself, like your true self, or you felt really happy and very much, you know, a lot of love for yourself, think of that time and then bring that feeling in and live from that place. That is how to to call in your one. Next question. Has your relationship changed since having a baby? Yes. A thousand percent. So like not in a way that I would have expected i think or imagine i didn't really even know what to expect because i've been through this before and i have a 15 year old son so i've you know i've lived this but this was different man it's it is different it is so different it is a thousand times better it's a thousand times juicier we are more connected more in love more understanding soft patient loving kind than ever before i feel like Going through that birth experience literally was... Together. Yeah, going mm. through it together was... A rebirth. It was a rebirth. It's, it's personal development on steroids. Jane Hardwick Collins, who I've had on this podcast, who is an incredible shamanic midwife. She's amazing. She was kind of like a birth pregnancy mentor for me during pregnancy and birth. And she said to me, birth, natural birth, is like 10 years of meditation in one day or however long your birth takes. So I definitely feel like our relationship has just up-leveled and I'm so grateful. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, the, the birthing experience is, um, there's nothing like it, especially when you do it together in your home and you're just relying on each other. And, it was, and our birth was unmedicated and, and very primal. and So primal. When you remove drugs and intervention and you're in your home and it's just you and your partner, my goodness, words, I I can't find the words. It's literally like the most beautiful experience. Mm. Yeah, because we went through this whole process together. It was, how do I explain it? Intensely beautiful. Yeah. And you just see, I see Melissa in a completely different light now. And I see Nick in a completely different light because the way that he showed up for me on that day was incredible. And the respect, the level of respect I have for him now 
because in that moment, in that day, he just transformed. He became the gatekeeper of our life. Like he really did become the gatekeeper. And I just saw him in a completely different light. Mm. We'll speak about that more in a minute. We've got some questions around the birth story, which is going to be fun. But let's talk about when someone, when a partner speaks to you in a hurtful tone, what do you do? And we sort of address this a lot in episode 404, Nine Habits of Wildly Successful Relationships with Nick and Melissa. And I tell you, that episode went ballistic, didn't it? Mm -hmm. That's probably one of our most popular. Mm -hmm. It will become, I think, the most popular episode. It's definitely one of the most downloaded already. Yeah. And when your partner speaks to you in a hurtful tone, there is, (laughs) I think this comes back a lot of the time to what we spoke about in that episode in relation to Mars and Venus. and Usually, it's multifaceted, I think, because they're not practicing crystal clear communication, first of all, because if if you're communicating well with each other, you would never actually say something hurtful, right? But usually, you get to the place of saying something hurtful because your needs aren't being met in some way. Or hurt people hurt people. And I think it takes a very aware and conscious person to look at their partner when they have said something hurtful and remember that, oh, for them to say that in that tone or or to say that thing to me, they must be in pain right now. They must be hurting. And for us to remember that and then be the bigger person, that is the work, guys. That is the spiritual sit-ups. But my small human self wants to react and say, don't speak to me like that. Who do you think you are? But my higher self wants to see, oh, okay, Nick is obviously hurting at the moment. How can I support him? How can I help him move through this and be the other person who doesn't participate in the suffering and join Nick in the pity party or the suffering and be that bigger person that goes, I can see he's in pain. How can I support him right now? That is the work. Mm. It's super hard to do when someone's being, you know, venomous towards you. And but it's doable. It's totally doable. It's absolutely doable. And that's the work. That's the spiritual sit-ups. Yeah, there's that saying, you can either be right or you can be happy. That's like you can get into that fight with them and try and show them, hey, that's not a good way to speak to me and blah, 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 and I'm right and you're wrong, blah, 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 blah. Mm, doesn't work. Does that ever work? Don't think so. I don't think so. I can't think of a time where I've reacted that it's actually... Resolved. <laughs> resolved anything, you know, but I have, I definitely know times and trust me guys, we ain't perfect. We react at times. There's no such thing as perfect. But we've come a long way. We react a lot less for sure. Definitely. But I can think of times where I haven't reacted and I've just kind of like, <laughs> actually the other night, Melissa was, <laughs> <laughs> she was wanting to vent on me. No, I said, can we please have a love bubble? because I needed to express some things to him. Love bubble, explain that. We've spoken about it before, but just in case you haven't heard of a love bubble. A love bubble is a sacred place where you come together and you express, you practice crystal clear communication, you speak from your heart and you express. And so I said, can we please have a love bubble tonight once Bambi has gone to sleep? And so Bambi went to bed at seven o'clock and I came out and I said, oh, you know, I'd love to have a love bubble with you. And I just needed to express some things to him. And it's a very safe place, the love bubble. There's no judgment and there's no interrupting when the other person is talking. So that is what a love bubble is. But we didn't really play that out because it 
okay, it was a love bubble, but she was kind of saying, kind of attacking me a little bit. There was a bit of frustration, I'm not going to lie. And I actually, in this instance, just found it hilarious. He was laughing his head off. He came and tackled me onto the couch, tickling me, laughing. And I was like, this is serious. Like, do <laughs> take me seriously. I'm trying to be serious I couldn't here. take you seriously. He couldn't. You were just being so funny. But I was literally in hysterics because she'd <laughs> it was say pretty one funny. thing and then make me laugh. And then she'd try to say something else to stop me laughing and make me laugh even more. But that is a great thing to do when someone speaks to you in a harsh tone or something pat like that. Pat and break it. Just pat and break it. Have a laugh. Gosh, don't take life so seriously. Pull their pants down. Yeah. Didn't your dad used to do that when, <laughs> when you were... If we were being naughty at the table, like dinner table, he'd stand up and he'd say, I'm going to expose myself, and he'd threaten to pull his pants down. He never did, did he ever? No. no. <laughs> but, and did we, it, what did you do? We just laughed. It just it was a pattern break. Exactly. That's yeah. the thing. We all need pattern breaks. So you can tackle your partner to the couch and tickle them and make them laugh if you want to. But I hope that helps. And check out that episode, 404, Nine Habits of Wildly Successful Relationships. So good. So fun. Another question is, how did we meet? We have addressed this in my books and in several different podcasts. Probably the first ever episode we did together, we would have spoken about that. Maybe that was episode 15. But briefly, we can just say that we were moving in similar social circles and we had, actually, my girlfriend at the time was friends with your boyfriend. So we met that way. We'd been out on kind of like double dates. And you met Leo actually at a double date, didn't you? Mm-hmm. When he was about four. It was a triple date. There was three, was three couples. Date, yeah. He was so cute. Three couples that? and Leo. Yeah. He was so adorable. So cute. And then we were both single at a similar time. And actually, no, before that, my girlfriend, different girlfriend this time, invited Melissa for dinner to my house. And we just connected a lot. And 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 when the dinner finished, my girlfriend at the time said to me, Melissa's your dream woman. And I was like, what? And I honestly, I didn't, I didn't see it. I was definitely fascinated by her. But at the time, I was committed to this other person who's still a friend of ours. And I'm not naming names just out of respect, but she's a beautiful person. I saw it, actually, a photo of her and her son today. Yeah, she's now married and, and got a smile. beautiful, like, oh, beautiful so, child. So beautiful. Anyway, so yeah, that's sort of... We came back together a bit through her, actually, which was amazing. Mm. And then things just kind of went from there. We we have shared that story quite a lot, so we won't share it again, but it's in lots of different podcasts. And my books. If you want to dive deep into exactly the whole story, check out Open Wide. Um, But I will also say we got engaged after two weeks and we got married six months later. And that was like eight, seven and a half years ago, eight years ago now. Seven and a half years, yeah. 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 There was a question here, how long have I, have I been singing for? It's an interesting question. I want to answer it because I think it speaks to following your passion. It's really important because people might think it's too late for them to do what they want to do. And I didn't start singing until I was 35. Is that right? 2000 and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 35. No, oh, that's not true, actually. Sorry, I released my first single around that age, but I'd started singing maybe a year before that. But you sang as in a, school. As a kid, yeah, you sort of. you were so musical. Like yeah. he played all the instruments. He was in the band. The thing is, though, when you are multi instrumental, the voice is just another instrument. That's all. And so it's no different to me playing. Oh, like I want to learn piano. It's boom, just sit down and learn it. And figure it out. The voice is the same thing for me. So and Nick can play the sax, the piano, the guitar, the flute, <laughs> the flute, the drums, the drums. He can play everything. Wow. I'm not as well as I'd like to, that's for sure. 
but good enough to be able to facilitate songwriting, which is what I need, and to perform. Anyway, so I started singing and I didn't have a lot of confidence. And funny enough, that person I was just speaking about, my ex-girlfriend, was the person who really encouraged me to pursue it because when she first heard me, she thought she was quite worried. <laughs> She's like, oh God, I hope, I hope he's good. And she said, I saw the look on her face. She's like, you're actually good. <laughs> you know? You're really, really good. And funny enough, she, she was in the kitchen when I wrote Little Lover. And it just came out of nowhere. And I was sitting in the piano and I just wrote this song. And I'd only been really singing and playing piano for like six months or something. And Little Lover came to me. And I recorded the original MP3 file. It's on my phone. Of It was actually, brother, sister. I was singing like brother, sister, like weird lyrics. But the whole song came really in a matter of minutes, which was super interesting. So if you are wanting to sing or paint or write a book or whatever, I'm writing a fiction novel. I've never written anything before in my life, but I'm doing it. Why not? It's never too late to start. So all you have to do is just take one step today. If you can take something from this podcast today about passion, purpose, just think, what is the next thing I can do or the first thing I can do to move that thing forward and just do it today. One thing, don't overthink it. And then tomorrow, do one more thing, just move it forward. That's it. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, let's move to the next category, which is parenthood. We got lots and lots of questions here. And I've kind of grouped a few of them together. So one of the most common questions was... I love this question. I want to hear about your home birth so bad. (laughs) (laughs) We got lots and lots and lots of questions about our birth. And we're still undecided whether we will share it. To be honest with you guys, we're still undecided. And the reason being is because it is the most precious and sacred and special experience of my entire life. And just don't feel ready to share it right now. Mm. But who knows? Who knows? We may do tomorrow. We may do in two years. But just, yeah, it was a beautiful experience. We had a home birth. It was was absolutely beautiful. It was life-changing. There was Nick and I. We did a lot of the laboring by ourselves. Mm -hmm. My midwife came at around eight centimeters and my doula and our birth photographer and videographer, they kind of came when I was uh, around eight centimeters and it was the most beautiful experience. Yeah. And and just to, you know, set some expectations, of course, yes, beautiful, but as well, super intense. It's, yeah. It was super intense. expansive. There was moments of like, holy crap, this is like really intense. (laughs) (laughs) And, And admittedly, Bambi did get a little bit stuck and well, when I say a little bit, that's probably a complete understatement. But when we do it's share li- it, th- yeah, yeah. When, when we do share it in more detail, if we do share it, you'll learn more about it. But I'm just setting expectations because I think one thing we took from it was no matter what happens at a home birth, your body and the people you're with are so well prepared to do what you need to do. And it would have been a very, very different story if you're in hospital. Very different story. Oh, from my experience, for 100%. You, it would have been very, very different. Um, We got through it. But we got through it and, you know, it would have been handled in the complete opposite way in a hospital. But there we were at night sitting around. I was making dinner for everyone and we were just celebrating. Laughing and... You know, and we'd all gone through this intense experience together because really it was kind of like beautiful and kind of chill for most of it. Yeah. But then the last couple of hours got pretty intense and the last seven minutes to be exact (laughs) was very intense. And can I just give one little snippet? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Depends what what it is. Well, it depends what you're going to say. You would have heard of the Ring of Fire. (laughs) So the Ring of Fire is when the head crowns and it's like that greatest moment of stretch. 
Melissa was in the ring of fire for five minutes. So that's a little tiny hint of how intense it got, but it was amazing. She made it through and It's the most expansive, expansive experience for your own journey and then for your relationship and for your relationship with your child. It's it is beautiful and big and beautiful and big. And it was amazing to be able to just, you know, be at home and, and that night and have dinner with everyone and, you know, we went to bed with our baby and there was a little moment in the middle of the night where she was like kind of struggling to breathe a bit and we just heard her do this <laughs> and just coughed up so much fluid, didn't she? Yeah. And all of a sudden she was like, <sighs> Yeah, peaceful. It was so, so beautiful. Cute. She is so, so cute. So freaking cute. We just can't believe how cute she is. We can. I can believe it. I can believe it, yeah. But she never ceases to amaze us. And she, you know, it's funny because Melissa, we had a lot of comments during the pregnancy of like your size and stuff. And she came out like a healthy size. She was eight oh, pound yeah. two. Yep. And um, the mid- midwives are like, where the hell was she hiding? <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, it's very empowering. It's beautiful. If you're and considering it's so that big. home birth, just explore it and you know, do what's right for you. It's no pressure. And we've had friends have beautiful hospital births too. So just find what's right for you. Yeah, always do what's right for you. Next question is, I'm curious about your reason for not showing Bambi's face on Instagram. So we've got a few <laughs> we questions. Quite a few questions on that. Yeah. So, I mean, coming back to the birth story, like, you know, she hasn't chosen to be on social media. She may grow up and say, I want nothing to do with social media. And then I've plastered her face all over social media. Like, it's not my, it's not my right. You know, she's her own sovereign being and I'll let her choose whether she wants to be on social media or not. And it just, yeah, that just felt right for us. I mean, in and in saying that, does that mean we'll never show her face? I don't know. I don't know. I might turn around tomorrow and post a photo, or I may not. I don't know. But right now in this present moment, it feels true for me and Nick to not show her face. Yeah, I wasn't as fast initially about it, but now I really love that we haven't shared it. I don't know. She feels like she's just our little <laughs> our little angel, and we just enjoy keeping that way. And it's kind of nice because we might see people in the street sometimes, and, and it's kind of like a this surprise, like fun they get to see her face. Like, yeah, because people will stop us in the streets and they'll say, can we see her? Can we see her? And they just like, oh, my gosh, she's so cute. She's so beautiful. So, yeah. And you know what? Like this is not as well a judgment to people who do show their kids' face. Like my friends show their kids' face, and I love it. I love, yeah, we love seeing. seeing that. It's up to you. Yeah, but it's just totally up to you and you've got to do what feels true and right for you and that is what feels true and right for us right now. And it might change, it might not. Another question here, how is it going with the baby? And I think that's obviously quite a general question, but you know, every day is different and, and every week they change and you know, if you look at week 1 compared to where we are now, it's like it's totally different. And it's a constant learning process and you're tweaking and adjusting and making it up and fumbling, (laughs) you know, just doing your best. It's so beautiful. I I think for me, it's really reminded me of the power and the potency of presence and patience. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm constantly reminded to just be in the moment because children force you to be in the moment. Well, that's probably your greatest lesson though. Presence has always been your thing, right? 
Yeah, one one of my one of your teachers. big things. Yeah, and she's just like the most amazing little tool of presence. Absolutely. Well, I spent an hour. It was an hour and ten minutes this morning. Just the two of us staring at each other, staring at each other in bed, just looking at it. That we literally and, didn't and move. we did that yesterday. Her it's and so I. Good. We just stared into each other's eyes. On, like we were both on our side, just staring at each other. And she just started rolling over, which is hilarious because she gets kind of frustrated. <laughs> she gets really, she's like her papa. <laughs> Nick gets so frustrated if he like. If I can't achieve something. Yeah, or like technology or something breaks, breaks or something. down. Like he gets so frustrated. This old like anger comes up <laughs> and like I could see Bambi just getting so frustrated. Like her arm was stuck under her the first time she rolled and she was getting so frustrated. <laughs> And I was like, you just got to leave them too, because it's like we're not going to come and get your arm out, because it's that's part of the journey is to learn. Yeah, and just watching her, it was quite funny. But she's nailed it now. She's nailed it. Mm-hmm. She does it nonstop, and she's become so much more confident in the past few days just from rolling. It's so cute. She'll roll, and then she like she's so proud of herself. She does this look, so has proud. this look on her face. She's just so half proud. shocked, half proud. Yeah, <laughs> it's so beautiful. But yeah, it's a learning, and I have really enjoyed learning more about child development and child psychology. I'm reading constantly. I'm learning about fine motor skills and gross motor skills and all of this stuff. And I'm really loving it. It's, it's been beautiful. I think as well, we should talk about breastfeeding. I think that's a really big part of this journey. I would say since she was born, it's been the biggest part of the journey has been breastfeeding. Luckily now it's all pretty smooth sailing. But Yeah, but the first six weeks. <laughs> that was rough. Holy moly. I I was going to do a whole episode on this. Maybe we will. It, it was like a minute to minute freaking like challenge. <laughs> it was so intense because my boobs were so engorged. They were under her bowling, <laughs> bowling balls under my chin and under my arm. And guys, I've been like a 10B my whole life. So this was new for me. But, you know, one thing I want to say for anyone who is currently pregnant, Book a lactation consultant to come the day you give birth. And I know you don't know what day you're going to give birth, but just call a lactation consultant and say, my guest date is whatever it is. And I would love you to come either that day or the day after and just flag it with her. So lots of my friends who have since had babies after me have done that. And they said it was the best thing that they did. It's huge. Life-changing. And to be honest, I am such a positive, optimistic person that I literally thought, oh, breastfeeding is going to be easy. Like, mm. it's going to be a breeze. Like, I've, now, got, I've got good sized boobs. Like, yeah. it's going to be a breeze. And I couldn't have predicted that I was going to get engorged. Which meant and, that she couldn't latch properly because it's like, can you imagine trying to suck a teat on the end of a bowling ball? <laughs> like, you can't get your mouth around it. So all it did was basically tear Melissa's nipples to pieces. <laughs> which created so much pain. And then you've got to try and heal those while feeding them, which is a whole other freaking story. Yeah. But that was one of the things where I think as a man sitting back and just watching what you had to endure was like, whoa, this is super impressive stuff because I would have tapped out, man. I know. And and I said, like, I there was a time where I remember laying in bed side feeding and she was latching on and I was crying like there was tears streaming down my face but trying not to cry too much because I didn't want her to feel that energy but I'm tears streaming down my face and I'm I'm squeezing my toes like my toes are curling up in agony my nipples were just so sore so yeah it was a big journey and I'm not saying this to scare anybody but like definitely just get a lactation consultant because if you nail the latch from day one, 
oh my goodness, it is smooth sailing. And if I had have had a lactation consultant come in on the day, she would have said to me, okay, right, your boobs are very engorged. Or when my milk finally came in, she would have said to me, your boobs are very engorged. We're going to need to hucker or, or pump some out before she gets on so that she can actually get on. But I went, I think it was about 10 days before the lactation consultant came. I'm not 100% sure. Was that right? About 10 days yeah, before was, she came? Yeah, or maybe day 11. Yeah, yeah. She came and troubleshooted with us. So It was a game changer. It was small things. And I do want to say, Kelly, our lactation consultant, actually does online consultations. You can go to milksupplynewsletter.com.au. We'll link to this in the show notes at melissaambassini.com forward slash 410. Guys, can't recommend it enough. And I will say that there are different methods out there and we were doing another method supposedly perfectly, right? It's called the Thompson method, but it did not work for us whatsoever. So not putting down the Thompson method, but for us, it just didn't work, right? Totally different way of approaching it. It's more of a symmetrical latch. And then Kelly taught us this asymmetrical latch, which is a different thing you'll learn if that's something you want to learn about. I'm like the full expert now. I'm like, oh my I'm like gosh. Dula, Dula Nick. The, oh my gosh, I just forgot that there was times where Nick would have to help me latch and then sit there <laughs> massaging my boobs. Times. I did it like 10 times a day for like six weeks. What are you talking about? Yes, because it was just so engorged. Oh, my goodness. And now it's like, oh, so much better. That said, there was one thing you did for one of your boobs. Oh, yes. Yeah. I did some ultrasound on it. Because it was not flowing like the other one. Yes, so and I took sunflower lesser. Lesser thin. Lesser thin. Whatever. Which, by the way, makes an amazing mayonnaise. Yes, a vegan mayonnaise. It's yeah. so good. Olive oil, sunflower lesser thin, vinegar, lemon juice, sea salt. Yeah. Blend it. Oh my God. It's like the thickest, creamiest vegan mayonnaise you could ever dream of. It's so, it's so and it good. tastes just like mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. And that was a thing I stumbled across. I was experimenting with. I thought, this is an emulsifier. I can make a wicked mayonnaise. And it worked, didn't it? Yes, it did. So anyway, check out Kelly. She's amazing. She's definitely been a huge help for us. And we had to move through mastitis as well once. Just yes. early, early stages, bit of a fever. Yeah, it came on, I remember, four o'clock in the afternoon. I was rolling. I was foam rolling my back. <laughs> and Nick was downstairs in the sauna. And I remember laying on the foam roller. Bambi was asleep. And I just felt my whole body ache, you know, that fevery ache feeling. And I called Nick downstairs and I said, you need to come up here. I I have a fever. And I got in the shower. I had a 15-minute red hot shower, red hot. And I was shivering, shivering, shivering. Called my mother-in-law who went and picked us up vitamin C, echinacea, zinc, and cabbage leaves and dropped them to my house. And I just went to town on all of those things. And that night I completely drenched our sheets a couple of times and woke up in the morning, fine, completely fine. It was amazing. Yeah. Thank goodness for that. Yeah. Uh, The next question is, I would love to know your routine for bub, especially sleep. Uh, We've had a few questions about this and it's something we initially resisted a lot was doing any sort of routine. We wanted just to sort of flow with it. More so me. I wanted to. Yeah, sorry, because I've been through it once before and I was I did routines with Leo and it was it was fantastic. It really helped him thrive. And you know, at at the end of the day, this is just our opinion. It's up to you what you want to do with your baby. Um, but we just found that having structure has been amazing for the entire family. You know, it's been really, really helpful. And we like to call it flexible structure. There's no rigidity, there's no stress. But if it goes exactly to the routine. 
We high five each other. (laughs) We're like, yeah, she slept two hours straight. Woohoo. But you know, sometimes she doesn't. And that's okay as well. During the day, we're talking about. Yeah, during the day. So, yeah, we, she's kind of sleeping seven till seven, which is beautiful. And she is doing, you know, two hours awake, two hours asleep, two hours awake, two hours asleep. And then she has another little afternoon, 45 minute nap before uh, her bath and dinner and bed. But I think, you know, whatever routine works for you and your family, you have to do that and and find what works. But then also remember that babies have their own schedule. And I think at the start, I was a bit stressed. Oh, okay. She's woken up now. What do I do? She's not meant to wake up for another hour. What am I meant to do? And that was causing me so much stress. And then I just said to Nick, I'm letting it go. And if she wakes up after an hour, then so be it. Yeah. We sort of followed Pretty much now we're following a book called Save Our Sleep, which has been, you know, it's interesting because it's been a bit of a controversial book. I don't see why, actually. I think it's really sound advice. We don't do everything exactly like she says. We, we do a lot of stuff from another book called The Secrets of the Baby Whisperer. Yeah, that was an incredible book. That was a game changer. So we started more with The Baby Whisperer and we've moved into more of a schedule. Whether it's Save Our Sleep or another schedule book, there, there's lots of different books out there. I think the most important thing is we're still very much tuned into what she needs, what are her needs, Yes. while ideally operating within some sort of structure. And something from The Secrets of a Baby Whisperer that we learned that we loved, which was the acronym EASY, Eat, Activity, Sleep, You Time. And so what I've learned overall with a lot of baby books is they need to eat, they need to have some activity and then they sleep and then they repeat. And that's kind of their routine. And so if you just tune into that and look at their cues, you know, she I know Bambi's cues and I've loved getting to know them even more and knowing her tired cues, knowing her hunger cues, knowing her boredom cues. It's been a beautiful lesson and beautiful time to get to know each other better. I think as well, you breastfeed four or five times a day now instead of like during daylight hours, as opposed to like maybe 10 times a day before doing the routine? Well, I think before I knew about easy, I just thought every cry was a hunger cry, but it's not. Like, how can she be hungry if I've just fed her and she's topped up? Like she's just gone for it for 15, 20 minutes. And then, you know, however long later she's crying, like easy has showed me that, you know, we just follow this, eat, activity, sleep, you time, eat, activity, sleep, you time. And so that's been really, really helpful. And I want to recommend both of those books for you to read and just take what resonates for you and leave the rest. And I think being flexible and spontaneous is really important and and not stopping your life as no. well. I mean, right now we are in lockdown, so we're not going anywhere. So it's a lot easier to stay on our schedule. But kind of nice too. Yeah, when things open back up, like we're not going to just stay home 24-7 and no. not live our life. She's a funny one because she sometimes feeds like she's hasn't fed for like a week. Like we call it, oh, it's a famine. Yeah. She literally just goes. <laughs> she loves it. So funny. She's so cute. She's beautiful. Um, the next question is, what are our morning and evening routines since having Bambi? And I got asked this a few times. I think it's really important. Uh, I got asked, am I still meditating? Am I still doing all of my self-care things? And we have definitely worked this out. Like it's chopped and changed and we're like, okay, cool. So you'll do this and then I'll do that. So First six weeks, it was none of it. 
No, let's be honest. There, there was, was zero. no, there was no maybe morning routine for maybe me. Maybe a bit of a stretch in the middle of the day or something if we had a, a second, but no. Nah. Yeah, and I was totally okay with that, and so was Nick. Like we were totally okay with just being with her. And it was so beautiful and we had the most amazing meal train. We'll chat about the first um, 40 days as well because I haven't spoken about that yet too. But yeah, we just let go of all of our routines. But now we've got like a nice little flow together and we work really well as a team. Nick said to me yesterday when he was in the bath with Bambi, he said, we're such a great team, aren't we? And I said, yeah, we are. We're a really good team. We do it together and hands down to parents who parent on their own. Like, you are my hero. Or mums who are at home and, and fathers may be, or partners may be out for the majority of the day or even coming home later in the evening. It's tough. It's big. It's, it's really big. Like, you guys are my heroes. Yeah. Seriously, it's big. And I'm so grateful that I have a partner who works from home, who has a music studio at home so that we can tag team. Although the, the music production has been a bit slow. <laughs> but I am working on a new album, so... That's exciting. But yeah, another thing about routines I've loved is it carves out very specific things for me to do. It's always my my thing. Like well, I'm always helping where I can in terms of changing nappies and stuff. But more specifically, I always do the bath at night. So we have a bath together and it's just the most beautiful thing ever. I love it. It's my favorite part of the day. They have a beautiful routine where he gives her or I give her Abiyanga, which is baby massage. We've got a beautiful Ayurvedic baby oil from our friend Dylan Smith from Vital Vader. I'll link to it in the show notes. He's been on the show, hasn't he? He has. His episode was incredibly popular. I'll link to that as well. And so we put her on the bed and we do beautiful baby Abiyanga on her and she loves it now. She didn't know what it was at the start. Same with the bath. Like she didn't know what was going on. She's like, what is this thing? And now she loves it. She loves the Abiyanga and she loves the bath. So So we do the baby massage and then her and Nick get in the bath together and they are laughing and singing and I'm just out in the kitchen and it, all I hear is these cute, adorable noises coming from the bathroom. It's gorgeous. We just crack up with each other. Like I find things that she cracks up to. And one of those <laughs> recently is if I do the mantra, Om Gam Ganapati Namaha, like doing this low voice. And she, she immediately just, just loses it. She her head off. Cracks up. She's tuned into universal sound there. But um, yeah, it's really nice doing that. And she started watching me work out now. So she'll come down to the gym and this is our home gym. And I'll just put it on the ground and she'll just chill. And that's something else that we've been doing as well is kind of ditched. We had a bouncer, which sort of keeps them on an angle and they sit there and they can just kind of chill. And we ditched that in favor of just putting her on something soft on the floor. Even in the kitchen, she just chills on the floor. And it's so much nicer. Yeah, because in those bouncers, they're restricted and they're like locked in. Would you want to be locked into a chair? But it's also too early for them to be sitting up on that sort of angle because they wouldn't naturally do that. So, And the more and more we have read, like you don't want to force babies into positions that they're not actually ready to be in. And that is sitting up and that is walking. Those walkers, those, those you know, I don't know what they're called, those walking things. Like a little frame thing. And there's also a little, I won't say the brand, but there's little seats you can sit them up in when they're not ready to. It sort of just props them up. And what we've read is that that is not good for their bones, their structure. So, you know, this whole idea of earlier the better, like the earlier they sit up, the better, the earlier they walk, like allow them to come to it when they are ready, when they're ready to do it. So we ditched the bouncer and we have adopted more of a Montessori movement mat 
style of thing, which is, yeah, you just put a mat on the floor and you just allow her free movement and you remove all of the obstacles that could be in the way and you just allow her to do that. And literally, we did that. And then within a few days, she was rolling. Yeah, that's such a good point. She Mm. was. She had so much more time on the floor. This is just a quickie. How are you finding those first weeks of motherhood? You do seem to be on top of it all. And I just want to say in relation to this that that person's asking that question because they see us on social media. Don't forget, though, that social media is the highlight reel and it's going to look like we've got it all together, of course. And we're not like consciously doing like highlight reel or anything. It's just that you just see a tiny snippet, right? And everyone's happy, (laughs) But it's not always like that. So I'm not going to grab my phone in the middle of... Bambi crying. Crack nipple and screaming and stuff. No. so <laughs> And go, oh, guys, this is what's happening right now. Could, though. Oh, I mean, that, that's the last thing on my mind. The thing as well is that we're really conscious of being on the phone around her at all. Yes. It's very, very rarely on. So it's Our phones are always on aeroplane mode pretty much. Yeah. And we don't want to be on the phone near her. If my phone rings, it's like a shock because it's usually turned off. So I'm always surprised. But don't forget, Melissa speaks about this in her book, Comparisonitis, about zooming out and looking beyond the highlight reel. It's a really, really important concept. And it's not like we only post the good stuff at all. It's just that, you know, don't fall into comparisonitis because, you know, we're just figuring this out and doing our best. I definitely do not post all of the, just the good stuff. There's, I'm pretty sure there was a photo of me crying when we were consciously conceiving. Oh yeah, there was, yeah. What's the hardest thing for you about being a mum? I could probably preempt this and say, I don't think there is anything you'd call hard in the sense that, like, yes, things are challenging at times, but you wouldn't change anything, would you? I wouldn't change a single thing. No, I wouldn't change a single thing. Yeah, you are an amazing mum. Oh, thanks. So devoted, so present, so loving, so gentle. It's really, it's amazing, you know, as a father to just have a partner who's that committed. Mm, That's really beautiful. And Nick sends me a text message every single day. Every second day, I reckon. Uh, Yeah, okay, maybe. (laughs) You're pretty consistent lately. And he expresses from his heart just whether it's about me and how much he loves me or whether it's about my parenting and how much of an amazing mother I am or or he sends a message on behalf of Bambi, (laughs) (laughs) which is really sweet. It makes... It makes a difference. It's really beautiful. So never never not tell the people in your life how much you love them. Never hold back. Never, you know, your friends, your family, your partner, your kids. You can never tell someone enough how well they're doing or how much you love them and how much you care about them. Yeah, episode 404, the one we keep referring to, the nine habits of wildly successful relationships. We speak about the concept of earning points and, you know, how men can often think they're doing so much and earning all these brownie points for their partner. But then you send a message, it's like 100 points. Oh, it's it's so easy, guys. <laughs> guys, listen to this. How long does it take to send a text message? Yeah. If you haven't heard 404, please go and listen to it. And if you are a woman listening to this, please send it to your partner, whether it's a man or a woman, just send it to your partner because the polarity is in all relationships and this stuff's so important. And it took us a while to figure it out and it's changed everything for us. Those nine habits have changed our relationship. I can't imagine where we'd be without some of those things, especially the Mars and Venus stuff. Holy moly. In fact, John Gray, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, he's been on the show. We'll link to that in the show notes. But actually, he's the most popular episode. 
He is. He's the most downloaded episode of all time. He is. John Gray. Well done, John. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. I'm I'm interviewing him. You are? Okay. You can interview him. You're on maternity leave. You've forgotten (laughs) that. By the way, Melissa is still on maternity leave. I'm still doing the interviews, but starting to just kind of come back into little bits and pieces like this one. So do we want more babies? Yes, 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 we do. It's funny because I was, this might sound weird. I was kind of like I was kind of neutral about having more kids because I've got one, right? So when you've got one, it's different. And so when, of course, when we got pregnant, I was beyond excited. You can watch that on YouTube, that video, the moment we found out. And we'll link to that. But um, I don't know, going through the pregnancy, I I was just kind of neutral, just chill about the whole thing. But when she came, (laughs) I was like, oh, I forgot. (laughs) How awesome it is. You know, and not just that, we had Leo here for a month. And having siblings together when there's a 15 year age gap is amazing because he's so cute. He was such a great help. It was beautiful to see Leo soften like that. Like he's already a soft human, but I've never seen him like that. No, and he, he got so confident yes. helping out. He was constantly just preempting stuff and not having to be asked to do anything. And even like at the start, he was really nervous to hold her. He'd never held a baby before. And then by the end of it, he's picking her up and doing everything. Like yeah. he, he just putting want, her on his chest. He wanted her all the time. But yeah, I, I'm very blessed to have two amazing children. They're actually very similar as babies. Really just happy, chill, present little light beings. Been That's so great fortunate. Company. And yeah, sadly, Leo's not here now because of lockdown. We are separated, which is infinitely frustrating and upsetting. Whole other topic there. Don't even know what to say about that. Probably get shot down if I share my true feelings on lockdown right now. Because for me, it's very personal because I've been separated from my son. Yeah, that's, that's really, the worst part of really it. hard. Really hard. Different states and and not knowing when you can see each other. No idea. That is really crap. I feel like if things get extended to some ridiculous level, you might see me getting rather vocal. (laughs) Watch out. But yes, uh, we do want maybe one more. We'll see. How do you know when it's time to be a mum? I'm such a perfectionist, I'll never be ready. (laughs) Well, That reminds me of someone else I know. (laughs) (laughs) Firstly, you need to let go of perfectionism. Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Let go of the word. Delete perfect and perfection from your vocabulary. I talk about that a lot in my books. Mm. How do you know when it's time to be a mum? I have shared about this before and I can't remember where, but it was, okay, so when I first got with Nick seven and a half years ago, I knew that one day we were going to have a baby, but I wasn't ready. And so uh, I you know, started the research. I started looking after my body and doing the physical and emotional prep that needs to take place. And then literally it was one night, uh, one morning, sorry, I woke up and I turned to Nick and I said, I'm ready. And overnight it was like a switch was flicked within me. And literally, literally I said, I'm ready. It's like me going vegan. <laughs> but that's that's how what happened. It was a feeling. And I think you need to let go of this idea of things being perfect and perfection. I deleted those words a long time ago from my vocabulary. What they do is they force you to compare yourself to others. And I've got a whole book on that. But you just want to come back to feeling like, do you want to be a mum? Like some people don't. And that's totally cool. And some people do. And you need to come back to if it's true for you and Tap into that feeling. It also depends on your relationship too, because 
you know, there's definitely people who in one relationship, not interested. That was me before Nick, my relationship before Nick. I was like, I don't want to get married and I don't want to have kids. I said, I don't believe in marriage. We have friends like this too. And next relationship, boom. Straight away. We won't have kids. They get married and have kids in like two weeks like us. (laughs) (laughs) Not have kids in two weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look, I think it comes down to the fact that you're saying you're a perfectionist and you'll never be ready just kind of to me says maybe there's some work to be done there on yourself, just like you would do, like we were doing before we met each other. That type of work, right? If you meditate and you experience yourself beyond those thoughts, right? You dip into that state of beingness every day, like we used to. We haven't recently because we haven't been meditating as much, but we will get back into it. But if you I meditated this morning. You did Mm -hmm. while staring at Bambi for an hour. (laughs) But if you do meditate and you experience yourself in that state, you start to realize, oh, well, that's just absolutely freaking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. What a load of BS I'm telling myself, right? So might be some work to be done there, and it's uh, it's doable. Get into it. Absolutely. This next question will point you straight to YouTube because we've covered this in a lot of depth, and it's a big question, but it's morning sickness, how to get through it. This person is at three weeks, currently nine weeks and struggling. Look, Melissa had it for the first trimester. We no, did. I didn't. I didn't have morning sickness. I was just nauseous. Oh, I'm sorry. Semantics. Yeah. No, well, I know. your words are powerful. I know. I your know. words are powerful. She was and never sick. No, I just had nausea from about week six to 12. And I've got natural remedies for this on my week six pregnancy <laughs> vlog. So it's, go and watch that. I'll link to it in the show notes. The video is actually called Natural Remedies for Morning Sickness. And we did that because we know people search for morning sickness. Yes. So, but we don't <laughs> think people should use that word. Go and check it out. We'll link to it at melissarambassini.com forward slash 410. The next question, how to welcome more abundance in your life financially? Well, it's a big question too. This is a big question. Let's just talk about lack mindset and abundance mindset. So if you want to call in more abundance financially, I think firstly, you need to look at your limiting beliefs. You need to address your limiting beliefs and then ask why. Like, why do you want more abundance? What is it you want to do with that abundance? They're two really big questions you need to ask yourself. And once you're clear on those, then you can move forward. Mm, because is that coming from comparisonitis? Or fear, you know, lack, love or fear. Everything is either coming from love or fear. Do you want financial abundance from a place of fear or do you want it because from a place of love because you want to help and give back to your community or something like that? So ask yourself those questions. It's one of the first things you can do to start to have a more abundant mindset is to start giving more, right? And we were very disciplined with this actually because we automated it and we now do it a bit more sporadically when we think of it. And that is just giving, we give money to organizations that we love, um, which reminds me, actually, I haven't done that for a little while, so I better get into that. But the organization we support is Operation Underground Railroad. It used to be Destiny Rescue. We sometimes do that one still. They're both about stopping human trafficking and, and child sex slavery. But when you start to give, like you can read any personal development book, any book, and they'll tell you, they'll speak about tithing or giving money away. And it doesn't matter if it's a little bit, right? Just do what you can afford. But it changes your mindset completely to a mindset of abundance and not lack. So if you want to start somewhere, just start by giving something regularly. One of the most powerful things you can do, which Dr. John Demartini wrote about, is donating anonymously, right? So no one knows who you are and you get no recognition for it. It's just a feeling within yourself that you get. So whenever we can donate anonymously, we do, right? Always feels good. 
So there's heaps you can do on that. We've done a lot of episodes on wealth and abundance. And actually, I think in our top 10 episodes, there's probably two or three on wealth and abundance. So uh, we will link to some of those episodes in the show notes for you. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but we will come back to that. Um, And that sort of comes back to the next question, how to handle friends of the same age and competition that can be felt with them. Read Comparison Artist, guys. I'm telling you, that book is a freaking weapon when it comes to this stuff. And I know we could launch into a long sort of answer with that, but I'm just going to say, please do yourself a favor and read Comparisonitis. There's also lots of episodes Melissa's done on different podcasts where she speaks about this, but it comes back to Comparisonitis, right? That's why she wrote the book. So definitely check it out. The next question, I've had the hardest time distinguishing my intuition from my fear. How do I tell which is which, Melissa? Apart from reading Mastering Your Mean Girl, what would you suggest? It's a feeling, right? It's a feeling. You've got to go within. Fear feels feels tight. It feels like you're contracted. Your shoulders might be forward. You might have a feeling of like a lump in your throat or, you know, a tight chest. That is when you are feeling, that is when you are choosing fear. Love, your intuition feels expansive. It feels light. It feels effortless. There's almost like no, no choice about it. So tune into your body is the short answer to know whether you are choosing intuition, love or fear. Yeah, it's definitely a feeling. What type of movement slash exercise do you find most beneficial? For me personally, you may have noticed that I have bulked up quite a bit in the last few months. That's because I've actually put some effort into it. And I was coming off the back of a 30-day juice fast, which was actually, I keep getting asked about that all the time. People want me to do an episode on the juice fast experience. So I was naturally pretty lean after 30 days of not eating any food. But for me personally, it's a combination. Yoga, 100%. Got to stay nimble. Like guys, We've got to stay flexible and nimble, otherwise you ain't got nothing, right? If you get stiff and sore, it's not fun. I do strength training three to four times a week, considering doing an episode on this at some point in the future because I feel like I've actually hacked this process for muscle growth. I did a lot of research and I am very disciplined with it and the results have been quite astonishing. So I definitely do that. I definitely walk, love walking on the beach. And I've started running, which was one of my goals. You may have heard me speak about that in the episode with um, Robert Cheek and Matt Fraser about how to treat your body like a pro-athlete. Such a good episode. I wanted to become better at running, so I've started doing that. And just surfing and spending time in nature and rock climbing, that's that's what I do. Darling, you're, you've changed a bit, obviously, in my Definitely changed. Um, I do a little bit of yoga. I don't know if you could even call it yoga in the morning whilst Bambi lays in front of me. It's very quick. Gone are the days of hour-long uh, sessions. It's very quick. I just do that in the morning. I do one training session with a personal trainer and my girlfriends once a week, which we're going to maybe up to twice a week. And we do squats and lunges and all sorts of things. And then I walk every single day. I think walking is totally underrated. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter what you do. As long as you move your body and you're having fun, do that every single day. Play tennis, go surfing, do yoga, dance, whatever. Just move and get your heart rate pumping and have fun while you're doing it. Listen to that episode about treating your body like a pro athlete. Seriously, guys, we're all worthy of it. All right, so moving on to food and nutrition, of course, this is always <laughs> the, the topic that we get so many questions on. How much do you spend on average for groceries? We've never been asked that before. And That's a really good question. We don't really know, but I will tell you that we do 90% of our shopping would be at the markets. The rest would be at Source, which is bulk Whole Foods, and then our local organic shop for little bits and pieces. That we can't get anywhere else, but 
yeah, we go to the organic farmers markets every Sunday, and that's where we get ninety percent oh, like, of our. If produce. you've seen the haul that I come back with from the markets, like it's insane. I have to do four trips to the car. We did actually tally it up once. Remember? Was it we, about? And that was just we were just curious. Was it two sixty at the markets? Yeah, it was around two hundred and sixty dollars. But that was before my new obsession with. Mushroom jerky. Which is like... I spend $100 a week on mushroom oh jerky. Oh, my gosh. I don't even like this mushroom jerky. Well, I haven't tried you it. haven't tried but it. But it's spicy and I don't do oh, spice. it's so good. Can't do spice. I'm not into spice. It literally, not that I'm trying to get back the flavor of meat or anything, but it just far out. It's so good. And I've also fallen in love with fermented black garlic. It's like eating a slightly garlicky little black lolly. They are so freaking good and they aren't cheap either. So <laughs> it's gone up a bit. If you took those out, though... I'm going to say the market haul averages between two to $300. And then maybe once a month we go to the bulk Whole Foods and we do probably a couple hundred bucks there. On stocking the up on all of the... legumes and yeah. that sort of stuff. Nuts and, Nuts seeds, and seeds, all coconut. of that stuff. And we take all of our own jars and we fill that up and trying to live as plastic-free, as waste-free as we possibly can. So if you can shop at like a bulk food store for those things, if you can't get them from the markets, do that. It's really good. Please please get into composting. If there's one thing I can make every house do, it'd be compost your plant material. It's so easy to do. We live in an apartment block and we still have, we, we bought two massive compost bins, got permission, and you know we compost everything, right? And if you are plant-based, you have quite a lot of plant matter that gets thrown away. It's not wastage, it's just that, you know, banana skins and stuff, you're not going to eat them. And it's really rewarding, isn't it, darling? It's very satisfying. Very satisfying. Please get into composting, guys. When you throw that stuff in the bin and it sits with plastic and all other things, it does not break down properly. It produces so much more methane gas, which is you know, greenhouse gases, and it is just kryptonite for the environment. And something we are very conscious and mindful of is living as zero waste as we possibly can. And no, we are not perfect, but we definitely question everything that we bring into this house and every purchase. Do we really need this plastic free? Can we get this zero waste? So please, please, please look into that. It's really important. Thoughts on time-restricted eating, such as intermittent fasting. I'll answer this one. So I do believe that um, everyone can benefit from intermittent fasting, but I do also think there is nuances to it that can make it very easy to do on a daily basis. So let's just talk about what I think everyone here can do for sure. And it's very, very simple and it will vastly improve your health. And that is go at least 12 hours overnight between eating anything. This is crucial, right? So we finish eating at about six o'clock and we don't eat until about eight o'clock. So that's 14 hours. I'm happy with that. For me, that's enough of a window for my body to clean house, to get into that state of autophagy and clean house. I'm, I'm good with that. Although on Mondays, I do try to do juice from Sunday night to Monday night, which gives me a longer window of not eating once a week. Do I think intermittent fasting in general is good for you? Yes, there's a lot of science around it. I think it's very, very powerful. But if it's done in the way where you're eating a lot of saturated fat and animal products, I think it's detrimental to your health. So be very, very mindful of how you do it. And I think if you're going to do it, you need to have a goal. Like, are you healing something? I don't know, you know, we used to do it very unhealthily, but... Well, we thought we were doing the right thing. You we know, did. We were following the so-called science, but anyway, I recently did an episode on low-carb versus high-carb for weight loss with Simon Hill, 
really, really popular, very great episode. And we speak about this stuff. So definitely explore intermittent fasting. Eat less if you can. We all eat too much, pretty much. Definitely. And for me, I am breastfeeding, so I am absolutely not intermittent fasting. Yeah, but you're still doing 14 hours. Yes. Still going 14 hours. I'm still going, yeah, overnight. So we have dinner at 5.30 and then I don't eat until... You have a juice at about 7.30 in the morning. Yeah, 7.30 the next morning. That's 14 hours. Yeah. So that is my fasting. And no, I don't get hungry. I go to bed at 7 o'clock. I get out of bed at 7 o'clock. Well, no, not really. I'm usually up before that, but I try and lay there so Bambi doesn't wake up. (laughs) Just to clarify, when I say juice, she has a juice before she has breakfast. So she has an almighty smoothie, which is packed full of goodness. Oh, before the first thing I do is have like a full ball mason of water. Yeah, like a litre or so. A litre of water first. How has your nutrition changed to the present? Well, I think, you know, this is just part of the journey, right? It's always changing. We've done heaps of things and it changes. Yeah, it changes all the time. Like, what are we doing right now? Okay, well, right now it's winter. It's not particularly cold where we are, but we do have slop. Oh, no, we kind of eat. Do we eat wintery? It was 26 degrees. Yeah, no, we're not eating wintery. (laughs) But, you know, one thing we do is we sprout at home. So we do sprouted mung beans, sprouted lentils. And we have those as our protein source at lunch. There's a new thing that we do, which we love in our salad. We didn't used to eat a lot of salad. Now we crave our big lunch salad. But that's because it's really hot where we are, right? Well, it is pretty warm. Yeah, but we still, look, I think every person can benefit from having raw in their diet, but you've got to do it the right mm. way for your constitution. So that's a whole other episode. Has it changed? Yes, it's changed. It always changes, but we are plant-based. We, don't we eat cool, lots of fruits and vegetables. We don't call ourselves vegan because it's a loaded term, I think, but uh, also because, you know, occasionally there's some honey in there. We have a, a car I that has- I don't eat honey. You don't eat honey, no. But the, yeah, but you might eat something that someone else makes that's got honey. You wouldn't worry about that. No. And we have a car that has leather seats, which we're not going to get rid of. So we can't say we're vegan, but we are kind of vegan. <laughs> we're plant-based. And it's been the greatest thing that I've ever personally done for my health is go plant-based. So I feel amazing. Yeah, we both feel amazing. And I just want to say, guys, I went on a slight rant in the episode with Matt Fraser and Robert Cheek about this, but oh, I feel really passionate about it. We can't continue to kill animals and eat them. We just can't. The way that we're going. The, and the environment cannot freaking sustain it, right? So whatever you can do to reduce your animal product consumption, please do it, right? Whether it's just replacing one meal a day, that's all you need to do, or one day a week. Susan Cameron, who is James Cameron's wife, the director of the Titanic and all those sorts of amazing films, Avatar. Avatar, she has a book based on that. It's about just just go one day per week where you don't eat animal products, and that's Monday, right? Just make Monday meat-free Monday. That alone, you save an animal every time you do that. The way that we are going is not sustainable, and we are... We have 60 harvests left guys, 60 harvests on this planet. We are destroying this planet, guys. We are destroying it. If All we don't of us make... in our own way are doing it in some way. Like we're not perfect just because we're plant-based doesn't mean we're not destroying it. We still drive a petrol car, right? There's still things we have to do, which we can't really get around particularly easy, but we can. The single most powerful thing you can do for the environment today is stop consuming animal products. Forget all the BS about how you need them for your health. You do not. I'm sorry, guys. You don't freaking need them. Okay, do you need to take B12? Yeah, you do. So freaking what? And some people, I can tell you right now, Brendan Brazier, for example, amazing athlete, doesn't take B12, he's fine, plant-based. But I'll say it's probably smart to take it. But guess what? Omnivores take it as well. And the only reason you get it on an omnivorous diet is because the bacteria sits on meat, right? 
it's, you're not getting it from animal products. It comes from bacteria. And we just happen to have a very clean system of delivering food these days where everything's sanitized and we don't eat any soil and we don't eat any feces anymore. We used to have feces in the water we drank and in the soil. We don't get it anymore. You can tell I'm passionate about it because I just feel like, look at coronavirus. Did that come from an animal? I don't know. But if it did, what a freaking shame that we slaughtered that animal and got that virus. It's just, ugh. I think another reason why you're so passionate about it is because we had this conversation the other day whilst you were holding Bambi and you said, we've got 60 harvests left. If we just diverted our attention from slaughtering, I think it's eight or 80 billion, I can't remember, it's a huge, ridiculous number of animals every year that we, that we slaughter, I'd say 80 billion, I think. It's either eight or 80, don't quite mean, I'll get the right number, but it's a lot of freaking animals that we slaughter every year. And if we divert our attention to growing these crops, right, I think it's I'm forgetting the numbers now. It's a huge percentage of the crops we grow going to feed animals that we then consume. Let's just cut the animals out and eat the crops ourselves, right? Let's stop all this monocropping of corn for high fructose corn syrup that goes into ridiculous soft drinks. Let's stop all the ridiculous GMO soy that's just destroying the earth's soil. And let's go back to regenerative farming or some other practice where we can actually sustain ourselves on this planet will be freaking 10 billion in the next 10 years or so. If everyone just started to become a little bit more conscious of what you are putting on your plate, it would make such a difference, guys. It really would. If you can, grow your own produce. If you can, shop at the farmer's markets. If you can, cut back on animal products. Even if it's just one meal a day or one day a week, you are going to make a difference. Start there. And can I just say, look, obviously I'm passionate about it, but because the thought of, of Bambi growing up and not actually living long enough to meet her grandkids because there's not enough food on the planet because we destroyed it and we didn't say something about it when we had a chance, just like that's just unbearable for me. But hey, for the first 39 years of my life, I ate animal products. So I'm not freaking perfect, right? at all. It took me a while to come to that conclusion. And for me, luckily, I woke up one morning and just was like turned off by them. I don't know. A switch flipped for some reason in my body and said no more. So I woke up to that. And I don't want you to feel like I'm judging you guys. If you do eat animal products, please don't think that. I'm just saying we cannot sustain what we're currently doing and we need to make a shift and you don't need animal products to be healthy. That's it. And it can just be like a teeny beeny, teeny weeny, weeny, weeny shift. But your shift will matter. It will make a difference. So there's some food for I thought. I think that answers the next question. <laughs> Which was, can you see yourselves ever eating animal products again? Well, we never say never to anything. Never. So I'm not even going <laughs> to, that might sound totally contradictory, but I just think we can't ever have speaking absolutes. Because we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Like, we have no idea. But so. I, I certainly hope not. Did you notice a difference in cutting out gluten and dairy products? A thousand percent. Guys, I did this in, when I was 15 years old. Look, gluten and dairy do not serve... A majority of the population, a majority of the population do not have the enzymes to break these things down. And they are high allergen foods for like, what, 95% of people? Yeah. So if you look at um, dairy, lactose, for example, at least 40% of the world's population does not have lactase, the enzyme. And we are the only species that continue to drink another mammal's milk after birth. Yeah, it's a very weird process. It's, it is. And again, like it depends where you're from, right? If you, if you live in Russia and you've grown up drinking kefir and your body's adapted to that and you, have, you produce lactase and it's done in a sustainable fashion, hey, go for it. You know, a lot of people we know are vegans. They're vegans who eat ghee and they get their ghee from very sustainable sources where the cows are treated with love and respect and 
you know, again, no judgment, but it comes back to what I said before about the way that we take advantage of animals. So I'm very mindful of that. But for gluten, again, different sources of gluten. If you're eating a McDonald's bun, it's very different to an artisan 72-hour fermented spelt pizza base, right? I can do spelt. A friend of ours, their father makes these 72-hour fermented pizza bases out of spelt. Oh my gosh, it's like heaven. All organic. Oh, it's so beautiful. Don't notice a thing. Whereas the other day, this amazing guy in the markets who does a 72-hour fermented pizza, and it's world-class. And it was just marinara. All I had was just tomato. Nothing else. Olive oil, oregano. I sat in the car and ate it. <laughs> I, I paid the price. For whatever reason, wheat is just like kryptonite for me. If you look at my genetics, it says very clearly in there, I am predisposed to having celiac. We have to be really mindful of what we're putting up. So gluten and dairy, we don't need it to be healthy. So you can remove it, but bear in mind that gluten does feed a very specific family of bacteria in your gut, which is why I do have it occasionally. I don't ever have it. No, but I don't want to miss out on that. Although if we go to Greece or somewhere, you might it might sneak in there somewhere. Really? Did it? Maybe not, actually. No, yeah. I never have. I, I don't ha- have not had gluten for gosh knows how long. And if you look back on photos of me in my early 20s, we say that I had the gluten bloat. I was inflamed. I was puffy. I was eight kilos overweight. And that was because I was eating gluten and dairy and I was incredibly inflamed. I cut gluten and dairy out of my life many, many years ago, and I have never felt better. They are high allergen foods, especially dairy and commercial dairy. Please, guys, if you are drinking commercial dairy, do yourself a favor and cut that out today and you will instantly feel better. Instantly. It's low-hanging fruit, right? Sugar, gluten, and dairy. They are. Like, if you are still eating gluten, sugar, and dairy, if you cut those out, just cut them out for a week. Just one week. And then come and message me on Instagram and tell me how you feel after that week. But we have to be realistic. We have friends who have Italian heritage and it's, it's not going to happen, right? So then just look at the frequency and the quality. Yes. That's all, that's all I'd say because I do think that most gluten, the problems people have is because of the Roundup that's sprayed on in the glyphosate as well as the gluten. Like it's a double whammy. So just be really mindful that it's organic. Maybe it's coming from a really sort of small farm. Just be really picky with it, right? Have fun with it. If you're going to do it, have fun. Make sure it's the highest quality stuff. Yeah, and Because I love it. pizza occasionally. Enjoy oh. it. Laugh. Have have it with friends and, you know, have a beautiful experience with it if you are going to have it. But for me personally, I haven't had those things in like 15 years. Yeah, I said I stopped drinking dairy at 15 and that's because I was training for high jump at the time and I was in like the 2000 Olympics, like a little squad thing that was training for that. Injured myself. So my high jump career, it was finished. But um, one thing I got out of that from the coach was stop drinking dairy, which was a blessing actually at 15. And I read a book called Health and Survival in the 21st Century, which put me off dairy as well when I was 15. My mum, and I've said this before, my mum actually put me, took me off dairy when I was young because I had severe eczema. And she saw the correlation between my eczema flare-ups and when I would have dairy. So she pulled me off dairy very, very young. And I have never looked back. In saying that, though, like I would still eat normal ice cream. I just wasn't drinking milk. She just took me off milk, but I was still eating ice cream and cheese and stuff when I was younger. And now, none of that. <sighs> Getting revved up here, aren't we? Everything about the juice fast. Okay, if I speak about the juice fast, it's going to be... About five days. Long. <laughs> I feel like you need to do a whole episode yeah. on your 30-day juice fast. Uh, I'll do an episode on that, guys. 
because it's um it's not just you get juice fast. So many questions about that. It was a spiritual assignment for you for sure. It was huge. Avoiding late night cravings as a vata pitta nick might relate to this. <laughs> From me who had whole tubs of ice cream the other night. Yeah, so I never eat uh, like late night ever. And that is mainly because I know it's not good for you. But secondly, it doesn't feel good in my stomach. Like, Yeah, it disrupts your sleep. And I, w- well, I feel gross. It like disrupts it- everyone's sleep. You know, if you eat late at night, it disrupts the melatonin production. Totally. And melatonin is the longevity molecule, people. Let's not disrupt that. So for me, I never, very, very rarely, like, we, like I said, we eat dinner at 5.30 and I'm in bed at 7. So, you know, I have dinner and I brush my teeth and I go to bed. But Nick sometimes it's just stays lately. up. It's just because of the Olympics. He's staying up watching the Olympics while Bambi and I go to bed. And then I come out in the morning <laughs> and then I see, like, I made ice cream and it's just coconut milk, vanilla, maple syrup and date paste. And in the sink in the morning, I said, babe, something happened last Smashed night. It. Smashed I said, it. Bambi must have got up and eaten the whole thing of ice cream. And yeah, because <laughs> also a few nights before, I had a, a tub of Koyo ice cream. He's so naughty. This is what happens when I'm not around. He like fully rebels and gets really naughty. <laughs> but when I go to bed early, like it's like this cheeky Nick comes out. Oh, the next question is about comparing medical medium to Stephen Cabral and their approach to diets. That is such a big question. I'm going to skip it because I could spend so long on that. I will just say, listen to our episode, Melissa's episode with uh, medical medium. I will link to that in the show notes and listen to all of the Stephen Cabral episodes. I think there's been like four or so of those and you'll be able to make up your mind on that. But they're both incredible and read their books like with everything. Don't take what we say as gospel. Don't take what anyone says as gospel. Absorb the information, the wisdom and the knowledge and then decipher it for yourself. How does it feel within you? Does it resonate with you? Like I'm reading a ton of parenting books right now. I'm obsessed. I love it. I love learning about child psychology and development, but I'm not taking everything everyone says as gospel. I'm I'm thinking, well, does this resonate for me firstly? And then does this resonate for our family and our lifestyle? So take this information and wisdom and see if it feels right in your body for you. The next category, we're going to just kind of wrap up into one simple answer because it's all about COVID, pandemics, vaccinations, all that stuff, which is incredibly divisive. Which needs about 10 episodes on its own. Probably not 10. It needs a a dedicated episode on its own. Yeah, look, we are actually planning some episodes to educate on this. Quite challenging to get the people that we want to get because they're very in demand at the moment. So uh, we are doing our best. We do have Dr. Zach Bush coming on the show again. Uh, He would be my number one right now for addressing some of this stuff. He's already been on the show, which we'll link to in the show notes. And he spoke about coronavirus then. One episode we'll point to was an episode he did recently on the Mark Groves podcast. We'll link to that in the show notes. It's an extraordinary episode. It is probably outside of Melissa's podcast, I would say. It is hands down the most beautiful, important episode I've heard. Hats off to you, Mark Rose and Zuck Bush, for that incredible episode. Don't forget to head to comparisonitis.com to get your copy of my latest book and all the free goodies that go with it. I cannot wait for you to read it and to hear what you think. So guys, that wraps up today's episode. I hope you've found that really helpful. And there's so much more to come your way. If you love this episode, please show us by sharing this on social media because that is one of the ways we actually know 
is how many times does an episode get shared? So take a screenshot or a screen recording, share it on your stories or your feed, tag Melissa and tag me at Melissa Ambrosini at I am Nick Broadhurst. And let us know what you loved. What were your top takeaways from this episode? We'd love to hear from you. And please make sure you subscribe. Yes, Apple did make some strange changes to their app and it did kind of screw things up for a lot of podcasters. So make sure you resubscribe to the show if you haven't done so already because it did drop some subscribers, unfortunately. And thank you so much for being here today. Melissa is slowly infiltrating back into the show and you'll see her making more and more appearances now that we're sort of, I guess, got our heads around what it is to be parents together. But remember today to look up, see the beauty around you, see the beauty within you, be love, be kind, be compassionate, and above all, have a freaking beautiful day. I love you heaps. Mwah.